0: In the early morning hours, around 1 a.m. on Saturday, September 6th, 2003, a man was arriving to work at Southwestern Bell Communications in downtown Auburn, California. As he walked from his car to the building, something caught the corner of his eye from behind the tall bushes out front. If someone had just walked or driven by the front of the building, they would have never seen what was concealed by the high hedges. Only a person approaching the building from this side would have noticed what was in the almost maze-like area created by these bushes. As the worker got closer, he realized that there in front of him was the lifeless body of a woman. He immediately called 911. Friday September 5th 2003 in Auburn California was cool the hot summer in the foothills of Northern California was coming to an end and residents were ready to start welcoming in the fall the near hundred-degree temperatures were finally decreasing and becoming bearable the high that day was 87 degrees with barely a breeze to speak of So the 66 degrees at 10 o'clock that night was the perfect temperature for residents still walking around after a warm day. Downtown Auburn, California, isn't normally bustling with many people on a Friday night. But this particular week, the Gold Country Fair was in town. So there were more than the usual number of people walking around. Many of them just leaving the local establishments that were closing for the night. One place that would stay open until much later was the Shanghai Bar on High Street in Old Town Auburn. Like most bars in the area, they didn't close until 2 a.m. But for one bargoer in particular, closing time would never come again. Welcome to the third episode of Placer Unsolved. Today, we're going to be talking about the unsolved murder of Susan Waters. Susan Lynn Waters was born November 14, 1961, in Sacramento, California. The second youngest of five children, born to Maxine and Lawrence Waters. She had two brothers and two sisters, and was the second youngest of all the children. When Susan was six years old, she suffered a head injury as a result of a fall from the monkey bars an injury that would leave her permanently with a shunt in her head, a limp to her walk, and surgeries every few years to try and correct the damage from the fall. By the time Susan, or Susie as she was affectionately known by her family and friends, was 20 years old, she was pregnant with her first child, a daughter named Brandy. Two years after Brandy was born, Susan gave birth to Brandy's little brother, David. Neither child grew up knowing their fathers, and their childhood would be chaotic and unstable much of the time. There were many men in and out of the home, as well as many fights between Susan and her boyfriends. But when she was around, Susan tried to be a family oriented mom for her kids. By the time her children were 12 and 10, the fights between Susan and her boyfriends had gotten out of hand and she sometimes struggled to keep a place for all of them to live. So Brandy and David were taken away and placed into the foster care system. Brandy would stay in the system until she was an adult, but David would be returned to his mother shortly after he was taken away. Despite this separation, Brandy was able to remain close to her brother, and before the end of Susan's life, Susan and Brandy were working on rebuilding a relationship and even had plans for Susan to move in with her daughter and her family in a nearby town. Somehow, in between all of this chaos, Susan was able to get a degree in telecommunications from Sac State, which was about 45 minutes away from Auburn. According to friends, Susan Waters was known by everyone around Auburn. She walked everywhere she went, and she talked to everyone. She volunteered regularly at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Auburn, helping to feed the homeless, and was even known to take the bus down to Sacramento to visit friends and to feed the homeless at another homeless shelter, loaves and fishes. She primarily dated and befriended those in the homeless and transient community and according to everyone who knew her, she loved helping others. She was always happy and smiling. To quote one of her friends, it was odd to see someone that happy all the time. Despite hanging out predominantly with the homeless community, Susan Waters was not homeless herself. She lived in a trailer with her sister Judy on Musso Road. And before she lived there, she lived off and on in one of the fourplexes in a neighborhood known locally as the Auburn Greens. For those who aren't familiar with Auburn, California, it's a small town in the foothills of Placer County in Northern California, known for its gold rush history. It's the county seat and includes the Auburn State Recreation Area, which gives Auburn the long-standing honor of being the endurance capital of the world. Races such as the Western States Endurance Run, the Auburn International Half Ironman Triathlon, and the Tevis Cup all run through the Auburn State Recreation Area. The town of Auburn, which includes unincorporated areas as well as the city itself, is not very large in size or population. In 2017, the population of the city of Auburn was just a little under 14,000 people, and its total size is about seven square miles. Downtown Auburn and Old Town Auburn are both within city limits and are often confused for one another by newcomers and visitors alike. They're both right next to each other and located in the southern portion of Auburn. The Gold Country Fairgrounds is right next to both, and all are about a 15 to 20 minute walk from each other. To make things even more confusing, some people even refer to an uptown Auburn. Auburn City falls under the jurisdiction of the Auburn Police Department. The rest of the unincorporated area of Auburn is policed by the Placer County Sheriff's Department. The beautiful setting and historical landmarks of Auburn have been used in many movies throughout the years most notably in the John Travolta film Phenomenon. In fact, if you're paying attention, you'll see the Shanghai bar featured in a scene of that movie. The Shanghai in Old Town Auburn opened in 1896 and closed its doors in 2005 after 109 years of serving spirits and Chinese food in the restaurant attached to it next door. It was a popular bar with locals and visitors alike. During the day, it's been described as a relatively quiet dive bar. But at night, it could get rowdy with lots of fights and sometimes an arrest or two. A local resident who attended the bar occasionally described it as the Shang Lo, because if you ended up there, it was a bad night. Another part of Auburn that recently found itself in the public eye is the Auburn Police Department. They made it into the national news after it was reported that the recently captured Golden State Killer, Joseph D'Angelo, worked for Auburn PD for a short time in the 1970s before being fired for shoplifting. A firing that has unfortunately led some people to criticize the department for not immediately recognizing D'Angelo as the East Area Rapist at the time. What critics fail to realize is that Even today, Auburn has a very small police department of only one or two officers patrolling at one time, and it's in another county, a good distance away from Sacramento, where the rapes were occurring at the time. Many of us who live up the hill like to think of ourselves as far removed from even the faster-paced cities here in Placer County today in a time when we have access to news immediately at our fingertips, 24-7. Not to mention, back then, there also was not the sharing of information between agencies that we have today after 9-11. Unfortunately, but not surprisingly, Joseph D'Angelo refused to speak to his superiors about his shoplifting arrest at the time, which is why, eventually, he was terminated. As they say, hindsight is 2020. For being such a small town, a lot has gone on here in Auburn, California. On Friday, September 5, 2003, Susan Waters attended the Gold Country Fair by herself, according to law enforcement. A statement that some family members find hard to believe because of how social she was. But given that she was known to travel to Sacramento alone, it's not far-fetched to think she would attend the local fair alone, knowing that she would probably run into someone she knew there. It was, after all, a popular spot for locals, and it was within walking distance of the bar she would later be seen at that night. After attending the Gold Country Fair during the day, police say that Susan Waters went to the Shanghai bar that evening and they believe she was there until about 10 p.m. What they're not sure of is who, if anyone, she left with and where she went afterwards. The next time anyone would report seeing Susan was at 1 in the morning when her body was found. Susan Waters' body was partially clothed when it was discovered. Law enforcement has declined to state whether she was sexually assaulted and they estimate her death to have been within a couple of hours of when she was found. Detectives are not sure if anything was taken from Susan, because it's hard to know exactly what she had on her that night. There has been speculation in the community that her cell phone was taken, but this is untrue. Her cell phone was never missing. Auburn PD has kept most of their information close to the vest for obvious reasons. They've never released her cause of death before now, and I only share it with their permission. It was determined during her autopsy that she suffered from, quote, an asphyxiation of some sort. Exactly what type, they will not elaborate. Along with not releasing whether she was sexually assaulted, they have not released whether or not she was hit or beaten, the type of DNA sample they were able to obtain, where the DNA sample was taken from, Or if there was DNA from more than one person. But they do confirm that there are people who have been tested against the sample or samples that they have and ruled out. They also won't say whether Susan was killed where she was found or if she was dumped there after her murder. Detectives were left wondering what could be the motive for this murder? Was it a robbery gone wrong? Could it have been a dispute with someone she knew that got out of hand? Or could it have been a sexually motivated crime? Or could she have fallen victim to something more sinister? Someone who happened to be in the small town due to the fair? A few months after the murder, a composite sketch was released of a man seen in the area where Susan's body was found. You can find a copy of that sketch on our website, placerunsolved.com. The man was described as a white male 42 to 50 years old, 6 foot tall, 180 to 200 pounds, with dark brown hair. A description of the car associated with him was released as well. An early 80s four-door tan sedan. But nothing has ever come from this sketch or description of the car. The detective in charge at the time states that the sketch didn't look like anyone they spoke to. A little girl who knew Susan and was 12 years old at the time crossed paths with her that night while walking home from the fair with a friend. They met up in downtown Auburn across the street from the old Wells Fargo building. For locals, that would be the area in front of Tango Yogurt now. This witness estimates the time of their meeting to have been between 7.30 and 9.00 p.m. because she remembers it was already dark. Her memory seems fairly accurate because sunset that evening was at 7.29 p.m. This girl states that she was walking home from the fair with a friend when Susan came up to them and asked them what they were doing walking home so late. She doesn't recall where Susan was coming from or where she was going, but she does remember that after just a couple of minutes, Susan received a phone call and then told the girls that she had to take the call and she had to go meet someone. She asked the girls if they would be okay walking home alone, and then this witness believes Susan started walking southwest down Lincoln Way, which would be in the same direction as the Shanghai Bar and the SBC building. The girls walked in the opposite direction, heading northeast up High Street, when just a few minutes later she recalls hearing a loud scream coming from the direction Susan had walked. The girls didn't think anything of it at the time because it was kind of a busy night in downtown Auburn due to the fair, and they just figured it was kids goofing around and being loud. Today, she wonders if that scream had anything to do with what happened to Susan Waters that night. Because Auburn PD estimates Susan's death to be hours after this encounter, and because Waters was seen at the Shanghai after this meeting, it's probably safe to assume that it did not and probably was someone else who screamed. As mentioned earlier, there were still people out and about at this time, so if someone was being attacked, it's likely someone else would have intervened. Detectives worked hard on this case for a long time, and they still work on it every time they receive a new lead. About six months after Susan's murder, in 2004, they took the file to a cold case conference where 25 to 30 investigators from around the state reviewed the case. Unfortunately, none of the suggestions that they received have led to finding Susan's killer. Investigators interviewed friends and family and numerous people in the homeless and transient community in town. They obtained records from the Gold Country Fair and their vendors in the hopes of contacting employees who were working there at the time. The problem detectives had was many of the people who work the fairs have a transient lifestyle. Some are difficult to find and others just don't want to be found. Speculations and rumor were rampant in this case which made it difficult for detectives to find Susan Waters' murderer. They felt they were running in circles at times, following leads given to them. Some of the people in her circle of friends were not the best historians, whether it be due to drug and alcohol use, or mental illness, which unfortunately plagues many in our homeless communities. In speaking to some of Susan's relatives and friends, it's been hard to substantiate some of the speculation and theories as to why Susan was killed and who killed her. But there did seem to be an agreement between most of them that they believe whoever killed her most likely knew her. Still, there are many theories among those who knew her as to who could have killed Susan Waters. Some family members believe that one of their own is responsible for Susan's murder. There are beliefs ranging from one of Susan's sisters killed her, to Susan's sister's ex-husband, who Susan was supposedly seeing did it, to one of Susan's ex-boyfriends, who actually told people he had killed her. But police looked into all of these people and were able to clear them all. One of the stories I was told by a family member involved one of Susan's sisters having an eye patch on her eye and scratches on her face the day after Susan's murder. According to this family member, this sister claimed she received this injury as a result from fighting with her boyfriend the night before. When I asked Auburn PD about this, the former detective said the story sounded familiar but that all persons of interest they had at the time were ruled out. The next theory looked promising to those in the community initially, but was discredited by law enforcement fairly quickly. Just a couple of days after Susan's murder, in the early morning hours of September 8th, a transient named Samuel Wilson was found beaten to death less than a quarter of a mile away from where Susan's body was found. The man who called 911 to report the murder, and who would later be one of the two men convicted of Samuel Wilson's murder, actually called 911 from the payphone in front of the SBC building where Susan's body had been found two days before. However, it was eventually revealed that these two men, Damon Bates and Austin Brooks, who were responsible for the brutal beating death of Samuel Wilson, had beat him in an attempt to get a purse back that had been stolen from a friend of theirs at a bar that night. Auburn police have stated repeatedly that neither of these men were suspects in Susan Waters' death. Another theory mentioned earlier was one police were pursuing. Is it possible Susan was killed by a fare worker traveling through town at that time, and that's why no one recognized the sketch or the description of the car? It would have been interesting to see if anyone working at the fair that year recognized the sketch or the car description. Unfortunately, Susan was murdered at the end of the fair, so by the time the sketch was finished, it would have been too late to contact fair workers while they were still in town. Is it possible there was a murder in one of the next towns the fair went to? Was Auburn PD able to look into that? was the sketch taken back to the fair the next year and shown to workers to see if they remembered anyone who looked like the sketch from the previous year. Not only would this theory make the most sense when you consider no one recognized the sketch or the car description, but when you look at how close the Auburn Police Department is to where Waters' body was found, it seems brazen or just plain stupid to murder someone so close to the police department. Someone from out of town, though, probably wouldn't have realized the station was less than a block away. This next theory was another one mentioned to me by one of Susan's relatives, and I have to admit I was a little skeptical at first, and I still am. But since speaking with this relative, two more people who are not associated with the Waters family at all have contacted me regarding their own family members' deaths, and both of these people have independently brought up the same theory in the deaths of their family members. They believe that there is either an individual or a group of individuals roaming around Auburn and the surrounding areas, killing disadvantaged and homeless people or young adults in the area, and making their deaths look like railroad or canal drowning accidents. There is even a documentary being made right now, evidently, that will be out soon regarding some of these deaths. One of Susan's relatives believes this is a viable explanation for what happened to Susan that night, despite her not being found near railroad tracks or in a canal. I don't know nearly enough about the other deaths around canals and railroad tracks to speculate as to who killed them or if they were even murdered. But I can say with all my research into Susan Waters' case, I didn't find any evidence to substantiate the belief that she was possibly murdered by a local serial killer or a group of them. If she was killed by a serial killer, it would have most likely have been one that was traveling with the fair. But with that said, we also have to remember the likelihood of someone being killed by a serial killer is extremely remote. According to the book Why We Love Serial Killers by Scott Bond, less than 1% of murders committed in the U.S. are serial killings. Since there are approximately 15,000 murders committed annually, according to the FBI crime stats, that means there are no more than 150 murders committed each year nationally by serial killers. The FBI estimates there are between 25 and 50 serial killers operating at any given time in the U.S. So if there are 50 serial killers operating in the country right now, each one would be responsible for an average of three murders this year. Interestingly, according to an article written in Psychology Today in 2017, Serial killers have declined by 85% over the last three decades. You'd never think that with all the interest and media that surrounds the subject today. Given the unlikelihood of being killed by a serial killer, this next theory still makes the most sense. And that is, someone in the community who knew Susan killed her. Could she have had a dispute with someone that she never told anyone else about? Given that she was such a happy and uplifting spirit, according to her friends and family, it's entirely possible she might have and didn't think enough about it to mention it to anyone else. And who called her earlier that night while she was talking to the young girls on their way back from the fair? One thing that's bothered me throughout researching this case is what was she doing in those bushes? As I mentioned before, these were tall hedges, maybe more than eight feet tall. They've since been cut down to just a few feet after her murder. The former detective in charge described it as almost maze-like back there at that time. It was not an area that could be seen clearly from the street, if at all. Was Susan Waters just walking by when someone jumped out and attacked her, Or is it possible she was being followed and that person saw that spot as the perfect place to commit such a grisly crime? Or did she go into the bushes willingly? And if so, why? There were people living right across the street from where she was found, and they didn't report hearing any noises or screaming that night. But that wouldn't necessarily be unusual if they were heavy sleepers or if for some reason they had their air conditioning on. It's been almost 15 years since Susan Waters was murdered. The Gold Country Fair that she attended that night has come and gone again at the beginning of this month. Susan's daughter, Brandy, has gone without answers as to who killed her mother for the last decade and a half. Sadly, one year after Susan Waters' murder, on October 14, 2004, Susan's 19-year-old son... Army Private David Waters was killed in a roadside blast in Baghdad, Iraq. He was manning the machine gun on top of a truck while traveling in a convoy, when a roadside bomb exploded and killed him immediately. On top of coping with the unsolved murder of her mother, Brandy has had to deal with the heartbreak of losing her only brother as well. A few years after her brother David's death, Brandy lost her husband, the father of her children. If you have any information regarding the murder of Susan Waters, please call the Auburn Police Department at 530-823-4237. For more information and photos related to the case, you can go to our website, placerunsolved.com. Susan Waters' ashes are buried at the foot of her son, David's grave in Auburn, California.